It's me, your CRCR, Certified Revenue Cycle Representative. Again, that's usually one that's dabbling in all 12 of the categories of your medical practice revenue cycle. So this is a continuation of credentialing 101-8 of detailed application. Um, More so going over the things that you are absolutely going to need um, and a lot of the questions that are going to be asked um, on your credentialing application um, in the and in the beginning process of starting your CAQH. Um, so I'm just going to continue to go over um, the rest of those things that you are going to need, starting now with um, your specialty information. So this is when you identify if you're a nurse practitioner, a medical doctor, um, and then what kind. Are you specifically targeting like speech pathology, um, pain management, chiropractor, family medicine. So this is where you want to get specific with your specialty and answering, um, you know, um, what's your primary specialty? Um, Are you board certified? And then they're going to want the name of, you know, if you are, if that's applicable to you, what that name is. So for example, like a lot of nurses may go, go, through the American Academy of Nurses, right? So that's where they got board certified. So for, you know, your specialty, where is it that you received your certification from? Um, Including the state, um, you should have obviously a certification date, certification um, number, if you will, Um, wondering if it expires and if it does then obviously you have to recertify and they need that information so that um, when you're dealing with um, the CAQH I know most times you have to re-update I believe it's not every 90 days or so but a lot of times they'll spit things back at you when uh, update is necessary um, because that's the host for your information for all of your individual payers that partnership with CAQH in terms of getting your most up-to-date information regarding your specialty and your skill um, with being credentialed. If you have um, a secondary specialty in which most providers or non-providers do, um, typically family um, family medicine, um, but then they go and specify in a, another specialty. So that's also an option and you are going to want to have um, that specialty and you also should be certified in that as well. Um, so that's information that you're going to need requiring your specialty. You are also going to um, kind of answer questions about your certification information. Um, Mainly, you know, again, reiterating, do you have a certification? And if you do have a certification, kind of like in basic life support, um, if 
you do have that, then in what state, um, cardiopulmonary, um, if you have a certification in that, expiration dates, advanced cardiac life support, healthcare provider, advanced trauma life support. So these are all a list of certifications that if it's applicable to you, then of course you would insert that information. Anesthesia's permit. So we all know as a provider, non-provider, whatever it is that you're specializing in, there are so many certifications that are involved in this process and there are so many uh, layers to this. So it just better helps you and uh, these insurance payers when credentialing to understand, you know, to get very specific in what it is you do so that they can better understand if they want to approve or deny you. A lot of um, the qualifications for payers um, are very specific. So if you go to their site and look at their qualifications, if you're, you know, now as a nurse practitioner, you are able to get credentialed. Obviously, if you're working under a payer of sorts, you should be able to, um, they should be credentialing you as well. And so they may require for you to have these certain certifications which in the NBN doll benefits you um, in the long run, especially when you're applying and then you decide, oh, I'm going to move out on my own. I'm going to get my own practice. And so, you know, I already have the certification. Then we want to go into general information. So again, this is just um, rework is what I call it, right? Again, going over, you know, what's your office type? Is it your primary practice? Is it your secondary practice? Um, uh, are you going to be practicing at the location or are you going to be driving to your patient's home or do you have a mobile vehicle where, you know, they should be coming to your healthcare van? So it is pretty specific. Um, you're going to see patients by appointment, um, which most providers do. When you see them by appointment, um, it's now in today's society is not unless you're going to urgent care. They've literally kind of divided that where now everything is appointment based. So if you don't have a appointment. Um, base setup, then that will be considered like an urgent care where you can just go in and be seen for that emergency. Otherwise, if you're at actual primary practice, you when you're seeing patients, um, they should be obviously registered in your system and they should be scheduled. Um, your practice name, that's a good one. Um, we don't want any crazy health names. Um, you know, I'm not going to go to, I don't know, Pootie Tang Healthcare, you know? <laughs> so let's make sure, one, I can identify what it is that you're offering in that medical practice with the name, um, or at least allow it to be a brand. I always like to tell my providers, think of your practice name 
as your brand. Your brand that you're selling to people is your healthcare, your skill. You want it to be identifiable to your target audience. You don't want to limit yourself by giving it, you know, William Health, a last name, and then your health. You know, it makes it very personable. And you have to think about, again, the brand. I don't know what you do, William Health, so you have to um, allow yourself to be open-minded. And again, your specialty should really be in your name. You know, there are so many examples such as, you know, pain center, um, X, Y, and Z. And so obviously they're a pain clinic. It's in the name. I always think that's helpful to um, your target audience. No one wants to have to think, hmm, I wonder if they'll see me for this opposed to, no, I want to go to this provider. I want to go to this health center. Um, and it's easier to resonate for the common person. And we want to keep that in mind. Um, practice uh, address. And so here's the here's the caveat with this. You know, you should not have a P.O. box. You should not have a virtual address. Um, a lot of times they want you to have a physical address or another option is to have an address. Um, there are addresses like if you're going to, obviously, if you're going to see patients and you have a small office, then that is your business or your healthcare address. Um, it's when you try to put bill boxes in there that it becomes an issue of verification. And we want to uh, limit, you know, they'll deny you for that. And so you want to kind of have that situated up front, even if it's, you know, where you have a suite and you have your own little square box house because you're one provider and you're taking it really slow. That's completely fine. But again, we don't want PO boxes, virtual addresses, and things of that nature. Um, uh, again, we've already established having um, an email address that coincides with your practice name. That just helps them to better ID you. And also, you know, for me, if I think of, you know, a provider's um, name, not provider's name, but the healthcare's um, facility name, I'm going to some extent think that the email address is going to be support at whatever the name is or the name health at whatever. And so um, be mindful, though, you want to keep it organized and professional. And so they all should coincide and match with each other. Um, again, just reiterating, you know, that it's if you are the type service provided, um, is it going to be primary care? Um, is it going to be urgent care? Is it going to be um, pain management? And so obviously that's something you're going to have uh, an idea of, right? Because you went to school for this already. So that's not something you have to rack your brain about. Um, is 50% of your practice primary care or not? Yes or no. Do you have an organization type 2 MPI? So again, type 1 is your individual MPI. Um, type 2 would be your group MPI, in which I highly always suggest um, if you get your type two organization MPI credentialed, um, you have 
better, you know, opportunities um, for billing when you do that because you can um, credential other providers that come in under your umbrella under your MPI versus using your individual MPI, which limits you because then only you can bill and get paid versus having credential someone under your group MPI and um, then they'll be able to bill under you. So you want to keep that in mind. Um, you definitely want to have, you know, a phone number, uh, a fax number um, so that you can be reached directly um, for verification purposes. Uh, tax information, you know, again, if you are, if you've gone this far, you already have a tax ID. You've already complete completed and filing your LLC if that's what you decided to go with. Um, and again, that's important. That is actually the very first step. You know, you shouldn't even be here without having your tax ID already and establishing your LLC. Um, establishing, you know, your office hours. What are your office hours going to be uh, from, you know, 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. or um you know, 9, 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. And so you want to consider um, the working crowd of people that um, you want to consider the working crowd of people that you're going to be seeing. And so oftentimes with providers, and I see this a lot, is, you know, they have hours where, you know, oh, no one came in or whatever, so we're just going to close. And it's like you have to think of the working class, um, those are majority of the people other than your Mer Medicare bene beneficiary um, patients that um, have the availability, you know, per se to come in in the morning. But your patients that work and have health insurance through their companies that may actually need your service, they don't get off work until five. So you are, I would heavily considering, you know, what does my target members need in terms of hours? How can I be there for them? Um, or are it going to be, well, I'm going to set these hours, but if anything needs to change for them or in order for a patient to be seen, are you willing to accommodate that? Um, because I've been in the situation where it's like, oh God, I need to go to the clinic, but I don't, you know, necessarily I'm not available until after four, they close at five. By the time I get in traffic, I'm not going to make it there. It's about five ten, you know? So where is the wriggle wiggle room in that when you're dealing with, um, when you're dealing with, uh, a lot of your target audience that works? the day-to-day -day, um, working group. Delegating, um, you know, an office manager, business staff that can be yourself or if there's a team already involved, um, that's going to be important because that's the person that they're going to reach out to regarding updates, follow-ups, you know, something didn't go through, something was approved, something was denied. And so you want to make sure, you know, if you have an assistant, maybe that's their, that's their job. I always see the providers or non-providers that's actually getting or credentialing themselves. They're always the one that put them, themselves on the application um, or in the field 
where it's office manager or business staff contact. Um, if this is someone you, I would not rec- If this is someone you do not trust, do not put them on this information. Um, this is very uh, important. And you know, if they need to reach you to get a hold of you for more information, um, it's important that they can contact you. Um, so having a billing department, um, electronic billing capabilities, you know, those are all good questions because they want to know that these are all things that you've thought about that you've set up um, in your process, you know, in in the process of getting credential. Now, going back to our bonus um, episode, you know, you want to kind of wait till you get credentialed and then that's when you start paying for stuff. So typically on your forms is more of a formality. Are you going to include electronic billing capabilities? The answer is nine times I'm saying going to be yes. Manual billing is sending paper claims. You'll see that majority of the time when you're dealing with liability insurance, workers comp, and even they have really updated their process in which they can receive and receive claims. So to say the least, we should not still be doing paper claims in this day and age for, you know, general practices or primary cares or um, any regular practice setting. Um, Practice limitations and patient population. Have you considered, you know, gender limitations, age limitations, age minimums? Um, those are things you are going to want to consider. Geriatric, geriatrics is for um, elder individuals. Um, so they want you to specify, you know, are you going to be seeing younger people, um, 18, I mean, adolescents, you know, kind of like 13, 18, or are you going to be seeing adults 18 plus you know, up till 65, when at that point they become into geriatrics, um, seeing kind of like your elder, elderly people. Um, asking questions about accessibility to your office. You know, does the office meet ADA accessibility requirements um, in that? Would you get that information based off the state that you would be doing your service in? Um, and then answering, you know, does your office provide handicap accessibility? Um, if so, you know, is it an exterior, interior building, wheelchair access to exam room, um, portable lifts, uh, signage and documents, parking, restrooms. And so all of those are obviously valid questions when we're talking about accessibility requirements. You have to think of your patients. These are small things that probably go over your head that you probably didn't consider, but obviously you should always keep these in mind. Are you going to allow for telehealth services? There is no reason why in today's society, if you're currently trying to get credential or be credential, that you don't offer telehealth services. Now, I will tell you, there are a lot of insurance payers where they are no longer, um, they don't have open enrollment for providers that are wanting to credential as telehealth only. They're more so looking for someone who's going to, you know, 
have the whole shebang, but obviously you can add telehealth service um, at your location. And I always encourage that because again, thinking about those moms, dads, you know, uh, the patients that just can't be there on time. They can make it home and set it up and um, at least get their chief of concern out to be heard and you can still get paid for that. Uh, Then we get down to our labs and our x-rays. Labs, typically when you're billing, is going to be your CLIA, C-L-I-A. And this is its own process on on the outside, okay? This is its own process um, that is in addition to being credentialed. It's a whole nother, it has its own department and setting up. But, you know, are, are you the services that you're going to offer? Does it require laboratory services, radiology services, x-rays? And, you know, in order to do these things, you also need certifications because they have uh, radiology technicians out there. And so um, if you are not going to be a provider that's offering those services, then that's not applicable to you. But if you are, then those are things you are going to want to, again, consider completing in its entirety prior to filling out your application. Um, Or you also have the option for labs to be provided by a third party. Now that expedites the process because that means that, you know, if you do do a lab or you do need anything like that tested, you can send it out to a third party and have them do it, but they, they will be able to bill for that, not you. Um, that just means that you'll be able to service your your patient effectively, but you will not be able to bill for that. Your lab, wherever you're, whatever you're sending it out to as facility, they should be the ones that is billing for that kind of stuff. Mm, okay. Now we're going to move to um, hospital um, affiliations. If you have any, um, uh, that is totally optional. Whether you do or don't um, is not a big deal. Most of the times I see no. Um, Credentialing information. The individual party that is doing your credentialing for you, or if you're participating in this case, the DIY credentialing, you would be simply putting your own information. Um, this is more so that if you know someone reaches out on your behalf and they look at your information, they can see that um, you're okay to to be communicated with regarding this person's credentialing application. Um, Insurance information, right? We all have to have, um, you guys have to have errors and omissions insurance. Um, And it's it's a big deal. (laughs) You can't really practice without having um, insurance. Uh, So you should have a required policy number, the date and the, um, the carrier information. Um, again, this is for safety measures. You know, no one wants to be making these making mistakes and then someone comes and sue you and you don't have insurance, right? So when you're seeing patients, um, 
you do want to be insured to make sure that you're safe, to make sure that your practice is safe. And um, yeah, it's a big deal. Make sure you have your errors and omission insurance. Um, policies, I think minimum, I would definitely say one million, one million um, as minimum. Um, so, um, and then in, uh, per occurrence is 1 million in aggregate, you know, you want to go up to about 6 million. If you, if that's something that you can afford, um, obviously if you're a solo starting off, it can be, um, individual, um, And that is all I have for you today.